0: Welcome to coffee is got me podcast where me means you or more precisely us. This is the show where your host Valerian without using any interrogation techniques convinces coffee professionals to reveal their secrets
1: to teach and inspire you to make better coffee and earn a few bucks on the side. If that's what you fancy, let the show begin.
0: Welcome to me podcast, I'm your host Valerian Rolla, and today we are going to have a double episode and because I know that you, plenty of you are traveling to SCA event in Atlanta, I decided to publish them both at once. This way your travels and possible downtimes will be accompanied by Kelly and Brandon from Big Island Roasters from Hawaii. Kelly and Brandon are lucky to grow, process, roast and serve their coffee. They are in full control of their quality from the very beginning and this for me is a very fascinating concept. Even more fascinating is the story how did they get to grow coffee and how did they build their business. As always I use special integration techniques to extract plenty of wisdom about their branding, website, Instagram, social media and also how to roast properly Hawaiian coffee and finally how To Purchase A Coffee Roasting Company It is worth to listen to both episodes because Kelly will reveal how to score some awesome swag at the SCA event and also how to buy a coffee farm in Hawaii, or perhaps even how to win it. Well, there is only one way to learn, have a listen. and Also have a great time at the SCA event, I always feel that this event is something like a giant celebration for all of us in coffee, this year I can't make it, so have a beer also for me, or coffee, whatever. Have fun. Welcome, Brandon and Kelly uh, from Big Island Coffee Roasters. Welcome to coffees.me podcast.
2: Thanks. Aloha.
0: Thank you for accepting the invite. I know you guys are very busy. You're running business ease. Now I can say in plural, right? Because you have two. <laughs> yep, uh, so thank you for accepting the invite.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah,
2: of course. of course. Thank you for inviting us. This is exciting.
0: It's my pleasure. I have... The first question is very vital for me. I, I love to go to Hawaii. I love to go to Maui. I do that every year. And every year I wonder, why is it that in Hawaii, it's very hard to find a local coffee in restaurants and places you go to eat and have fun?
2: That is a, a great observation. It's difficult to find. And it's a, yeah, a great point that you bring up. Um the reason that it is is strictly because it costs more to produce Hawaiian coffee than it does to produce international coffees. The cost of green being for international coffees is between one fifty and $4 per pound on the high end. And for Hawaii coffees, it's 12 to $22, basically. Um, and so, of course, tourists like to come and they want to experience the um, – local coffees. But that's not really the mainstay of the people who support businesses. It's the local market. Um, The people who live around those restaurants and cafes that actually support those businesses. And those businesses can't often charge twice the amount of money, sometimes three times the amount of money for a cup of coffee. Um, And so it's purely because the cost of the coffee is so much more expensive that it's harder to find.
0: I never thought about that that way, that basically the businesses are actually supported by the natives, (laughs) you can say that. Yeah. Uh, But on the other hand, can't you offer like two or three options?
2: Yeah, you can offer two or three options, and I honestly don't know why more businesses don't do that. I know a lot of cafes in Honolulu. That's what they primarily do. Morning Glass, which I'll give a shout-out to, Um, Gorilla in the Cafe, Uh, The Curb, those are three which have um, two selections of coffees. But I don't know why other coffee shops don't do that as a mainstay.
0: Okay. So coffee shops, if you are from Maui and listening to this, I'm going there sometimes in uh, June. So please, especially on Maui, make sure that you will serve local coffee so I can uh, please myself with local coffee
1: yes <laughs> <laughs> that's a fair request Excellent. totally fair. no
0: you know i really believe that like you know for me it's such a great experience to get out of california for a week and enjoy everything local and you know even i like uh a poi right
1: yeah mm-hmm. people are like
0: but i enjoy that because that's part of being there i just love that. And I would love to have more coffee. And I do go to, you know, special places where on Maui they do offer their own um, coffee. The Maui Grown has a like a store. So, you know, and I don't even like dark rose guys, but I go there because I'm like, no, I just want to do this this week because that just belongs there. Right.
2: Yep. Yep. So
0: I I would like to encourage everyone to buy local coffee. That's awesome. Yes.
2: Yes. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Our coffee.
0: (laughs) So, guys, what is your coffee story? Uh, how did you fall in love with coffee?
2: Um, let's see. I fell in love with coffee in high school. Um, after I'd go, you know, I go to school and I go to work. I would go to Barnes and Noble, and they had a Starbucks in the Barnes and Noble, and I would spend all night um reading and drinking those caramel macchiatos and in like barnes and noble was a total refuge for me because you know you're in that transformative high school time when um you don't know who you are where you're going what college you're gonna go to and there's so much instability and going to this bookstore with the classical music in the background And I could just select my books and sit in my chair and drink my coffee. And it all became associated into one big comforting feeling for me. And I've carried that throughout my life, no matter where I'm traveling or what I'm doing. The thing that I do every day is coffee. And it became spiritual um, to me to some degree. Um, So that is where I fell in love with it. Um... Yeah, and it began and it's still that way from, for me every day. Like I can I can eliminate a lot of things from my diet or from my lifestyle or live out of a backpack, but if I go without coffee, I just somehow feel like spiritually de- deprived. <laughs> wow,
0: that's very nicely said. How about you, Brandon?
1: Um <laughs> well, believe it or not, my my short my story is actually pretty short uh, in some ways. I was not, uh, I grew up in the Portland metro area, um, so I was always exposed to quite a bit of cafes, coffee culture that's always been around me. Um, And for a time, I mean, yeah, for a little bit before we moved out here, I certainly could appreciate a good cup of coffee because we have good coffee in Portland and stuff, but uh, I really didn't start getting into coffee, honestly, until uh, I started working with the plants. Um, So... It's kind of silly to say, but I didn't really start getting into coffee until moving onto a coffee farm, um, <laughs> and so just working with it from that very fundamental ground level, um, respecting with the, the plants. Plant. Yeah, respecting the plants, of course, respecting the process, the craft, the artisanship. Um, once once I really started getting into that, that's where you know I, I wanted to keep diving deeper, mm. and so that was. Yeah, that that was really it. It was it was more of a, a initially a biological romance, so to speak, uh <laughs> working working with the trees themselves, uh touching, smelling, tasting everything throughout the entire process and uh just being really engaged with that whole thing. So it was kind of a there was no aha moment for me. There was just kind of a, a longer term but uh like really deep relationship built over the course of I'd say like the first year that we came out here.
0: Yeah, you're lucky that way because Right, <laughs> you, you, you can experience the plants, which most of the roasters in the world can't, and and kind of like appreciate it the same way, uh, same way as, let's say, uh, uh, a, a vintner, right? They usually grow the grapes and they make the wine. So you guys are lucky that you can uh, follow the whole path from uh, growing to uh, roasting and drinking.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Uh, we are all jealous.
1: <laughs> I'm really appreciative of our position. Yeah, b- because of that cuz I do feel lucky in that respect by yeah. um, a lot.
0: Cool. Uh All right. So now tell me how did you get to Hawaii and why did you start a coffee farm and roasting? Why you just don't sit on a beach and enjoy some uh, mai tai? <laughs>
2: Oh my god, we was I like in some ways I wish I was the type of person that could sit on a beach and just enjoy my Mai Thai, but that is not fun for me. Um I I enjoy working, I enjoy being engaged. Um I'd rather be swimming or surfing or something like that. But um but I, I take your point, which is how the hell did we get here? Um Gosh, it's, it's kind of a long story, and we do have a lot of the features of it on our blog. If I, I might skip over some pieces of it, but let's see. In 2010, we were looking to buy some property or buy a farm in the Portland uh, area in the Willamette Valley. And we, you know, the mortgage crisis had hit, and nobody was lending anybody any money and we got denied for a loan and we weren't really sure what to do or where to go and okay I'm gonna give you a backstory here and it's gonna sound a little woo-woo but um we had just finished watching The Secret um which is that sort of manifestation movie and we're like you know what the heck let's just give this a shot and I'm I'm not Of the mindset that all of this stuff necessarily exists, but uh, we decided to try it anyways, which is essentially manifesting by a lot of attraction, what you want in your life. And so we had just come back from Hawaii visiting my younger brother and we were like, you know, let's. Let's see if we can somehow move to Hawaii. I mean, that would be great. But we didn't really have any avenue for that. And so we were just like, hmm, by the end of the year, we live in Hawaii. By the end of the year, we live in Hawaii. Just kind of thinking about it. And then one day in the middle of the night, Brandon was looking through the Portland real estate listings on Craigslist. And this farm in Hawaii popped up.
0: On a Portland Craigslist? Yeah. Yep. Oh.
2: (laughs) Yep, on Portland Craigslist. And just to the
0: listeners who are not Americans, the Greeks offers you only uh, ads from the local area. So Hawaii, Portland, pretty far away. So go exactly. ahead. Yep. Yeah,
1: yep. yeah, yep.
2: yeah. Um, and the <laughs> it just sounded perfect because it because it was a farm, and that's what we wanted to get into. Brandon had been farming um, for the past two years, and we wanted to move to a farm. And this was coffee, and it was Hawaii in a nice, warm environment, and. It was owner financed, it included a business, and it was for basically less than a price, less than a house in Portland would cost, Mm. um, or property in Portland. And so we were just shocked, and we thought it was a scam. We called the realtor, and the realtor was like, you guys sound great, come out here to the Big Island as soon as you can, take a look at the farm, Um, because other people are looking at the farm, we don't know what's gonna happen with it come out here and meet the owner. And so we flew out like the next week. Um, and we met Bob. Bob was this old guy from where was was he from? Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Bob was an older guy from Oklahoma. He was like 76 at the time. Hmm. And, uh, he was just ready to move. He wanted to go to the mainland and just start driving on the big open highways. And, um, Yeah, he, for the most part, wanted to do the deal on a handshake. He didn't want banks to be involved, and there was a good reason for that. I can go into that later. But um, So we came over. We met Bob. Everything worked out really well. I think this was in, what was it, March?
1: No, it was in May. May. The end of May.
2: The end of May that we came out to visit. And um, by June, we signed papers and the sale went through and we were moved into the farm by uh, september and he stayed with us for about a month and gave us some uh gave us the lowdown on the house and because there are some tricky and finicky things with the house and how to sell tropical flowers which is the business that he sold to us mm-hmm. so not um, coffee no, well, I mean, there was a little bit of money that he was making from coffee, but essentially he was farming coffee in a real easy way, which is the way a lot of local, a lot of locals do around here. Which is just, you produce cherry, you don't really pay attention to the, the coffee quality. You know, strip the trees, greens, yellows, blacks, reds, whatever. Um, wash them, throw them out, in, and dry them, and then you sell them. Um, and he was selling them for like six fifty a pound of parchment, which is absurdly low. Uh, to a local roaster who would just burn them to a crisp and sell them as local coffee.
1: Aww.
2: Yeah. So that was that. That part of the story. Do you have anything to add to that, Brandon?
1: Um. <clears throat> no, I mean, not a not a ton. It was just, it was, it was all just kind of. Uh, it felt very coincidental. It felt yeah. very serendipitous. Um. And you know our. <laughs> our our efforts for this whole like manifestation thing were almost like 99% totally tongue in cheek. Like we were just kind of joking with ourselves. Um, And so it just, it was just really funny that we were saying that I think it was early March when we were like, yeah, let's manifest going to Hawaii by the end of the year. Somehow, some way, we had no clue how we would get out, get out to Hawaii, what kind of work we would do once we got here, where we would live, none of that whatsoever. Um, So it was just very, very funny to me anyways, that, Looking By back. the beginning of September, we were moved to Hawaii, we, <laughs> we oh, had man. new work, we had a new business, we had a new lifestyle, you know, it's a total package, and it was, uh, yeah, it was just a change, it was an opportunity that we couldn't resist, we would have felt like fools saying no to the opportunity, so.
0: I, I don't know if it's true or not, but uh, isn't, a f- like, floral business easier than uh, doing coffee? Especially, yes. yeah? <laughs> so why but, did you decide for coffee then?
2: Well, because we wanted to farm, we wanted to do coffee. Like, we were more, I guess, interested, um, engrossed uh, in uh, emotional ways and in like scientific ways. I mean, it was just interesting because my, my history is in biology, my um, uh, education is in biology. Brandon had been farming, and that is what we were interested in. The, co- the floral business was. Simply, um, to, and to give you a little bit of background, the farm that we're on used to grow anthuriums, but a blight came through and wiped away the anthuriums. And so Bob planted uh, coffee in replacement of the anthuriums. Um, and, but he continued on with the floral business by purchasing the anthuriums from the lady across the street at a discount and he would sell her coffee and it was kind of a, a, a little bit of a barter. And he kept his wholesale relationships going, um, and so when we walked into it, it was it felt really transaction, really transactional in that we would just purchase the flowers, we'd box them, um, and then send them off. But a, another part of that was because the economy was in a recession, we just started losing wholesale clients in the floral business, so we had to figure out something else to do.
0: Okay. Good. Uh, so. Once you decided you want to do a coffee farm, I guess you had to extend it, I guess, right? Or that was it? You could uh, make business from the plants which were already planted?
1: Oh, when you say extend it, you mean like uh, plant more coffee? Yeah. Ah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you're bringing up a really good point. So, yeah, we only have uh, about 1,500 trees, about two acres of coffee. Um, and when we first moved here, the coffee was, I mean, Bob was maintaining it, um, but he wasn't really keeping it, you know, up in really good shape for good production, mostly because I mean, he was 74 when we, <laughs> when he left, um, and he just didn't know what the next owners were going to do with it. So he just kept the coffee alive and, and kept it going. So, um, there was a lot of work that needed to be done, a lot of pruning and rejuvenation, uh, just to get the field back in shape. So for the first couple of years, our, our yields were very, very low, mm-hmm. um, and so, yeah, it was nice in the beginning to have the wholesale flower business to kind of keep everything going. Um, and then uh, basically, as we as we started doing more coffee, as opposed to producing more, uh, like planting more, we just wanted to maximize the production that we have on our own field. And then uh, we just started buying coffee from other farmers, other places uh, from around the Big Island uh, in order to, to support the growing coffee portion of the, of the sales in the business.
0: So, where did you learn about this uh, farming coffee, uh, the pruning techniques and everything?
1: Uh, <laughs> um, just reading about it, actually. Oh. Uh, you know, the nice convenient part is that uh, the university here has written a book uh, called Growing Coffee in Hawaii. <laughs> so, that was logically a good place to start. Um so it's really just beginning with those parameters and um, just uh, observation, just trial and error, you know. And that's that's just kind of uh, the the heart of farming as it is, anyway. Uh, everyone can give you all kinds of parameters and and uh, advice for what fertilizer to use, how much to use, timing of application. Same thing with pruning. But uh, if there's anything that I've learned in farming, it's that even if you're a mile away from somebody else, you can have completely different results with what you're trying to do. Um, And certain techniques may or may not work. So every every farm every plot uh, is different And it's really a matter of the relationship between the farmer the caretaker and the plants Um, That that's really the the most important thing that that basically just needs to get figure out figured out Um, And so yeah, yeah, it was really just read apply some techniques observe and figure out where to go from there step by step
0: It's like each uh, farm has its own personality
1: absolutely yeah absolutely because the the relationship is is unique it's always particular to the person interacting with the plants and also just that specific environment itself
0: Uh, most of the farmers when they grow coffee on a world uh, they always think about selling the green beans but you guys sell it roasted
1: yeah Mm -hmm. so
0: why did you decide for this do you sell everything roasted Or do you sell also something green? You actually already said that you're buying actually coffee from other uh, farmers. So I guess the roasting is the main business, right?
2: The roasting is a big part of the business. Um, We choose to sell roasted coffee instead of green coffee for the most part because of the value added um, proposition. Mm -hmm. Um, that's, That's one reason. Another reason is that I am not confident that most people can roast Hawaiian coffee, and so I'd prefer them not try, (laughs) to be honest. Okay. Um, I just haven't had great experiences with a lot of people's roasted versions of Hawaiian coffee because they're used to different roasting techniques for international coffees. Um, We also have a roaster, so there's no reason why not to use it i think that other farmers focus on um green coffee because they it's it's a matter of scale they have more volume right they have more trees and it is the farm can be profitable selling green coffee if we just sold green coffee our farm would not be profitable and we wouldn't be having this conversation today
0: i you already hinted something which the this is the reason why I like what you do, guys, is the fact that you can control the quality from beginning, so meaning planting the right varietals, uh, picking the cherries in the right time, processing them in certain ways that, you know, highlights certain uh, flavors you have vision for, and then you are the one who is roasting it. I think that this is not done enough, and I think that's really fascinating, so...
1: Oh,
2: thank you. Thank you. You You are welcome. (laughs) We enjoy the process. Yeah, we enjoy it. Like taking it from cherry to cup, we really do. Uh, And
0: that's it. You agree with that, right? It's very unique that uh, not too many people do that.
2: Yeah, it is. Even in Hawaii, it's unique.
0: Do you think that's the future? I mean, because I see that shift that, you know, first we had fair trade. Everybody was talking about, you know, fair trade. And then we had this direct trade, right, which is not a certificate, but more like a way of uh, making business, which is kind of, in the people's minds, the upgrade from fair trade, right? That, you know, the roster makes direct relations and uh, by skipping the middleman, they pay more to the, supposedly, they may pay more to the farmer. And maybe the, the, the upgrade from that would be something what you do, guys. Do, do you think that's the future?
2: I think it would be great if that were the future, but I, I don't. I don't have a lot of confidence that that is where things are going to go because, in our experience, it. A lot of farmers just want to have a good life. You know, uh, they just want to live rurally. They want to live out um, in nature, and oftentimes they have families and they want to spend time with their families. And then they want to have a weekend. And to do it all, to be honest, you really have to love nerding out on details, um, at least to do it all and to do it well and enjoy working. Mm-hmm. Um, because there are a lot of steps in between and it takes a little bit of capital too, because you need a lot of, uh, equipment.
0: But as you said, uh, the value proposition is there. So yeah. imagine that you produce uh, one ton of coffee, uh, you sell it for, uh, a kilo. And that's an example, that's not a real price, okay? So you have uh, $1,000 income. But, you know, in a coffee world, we know that the value of a roasted coffee is much, much higher. It, It multiplies by, I don't know, four, five, six, depends how much you sell it for. So probably the farmers, if they want to really have weekends, they even realize that perhaps you know, it's it's not a bad idea to start to lose their own and sell it. And I know you are lucky, guys, because you sell to the United States. You are part of the yeah. United States. And it's much harder to do in, let's say, Honduras or, or Ethiopia, right? That's yeah, really hard. that's what
2: I was going to say, right.
0: But um, I don't know. I mean, the world is shrinking. You know, we have social media. Uh, the shipping worldwide is getting kind of interesting. You know, there are different options. So who knows? Maybe, maybe it is the future. I, I do believe that.
2: I, I would hope. I would hope that you're right. It would be interesting, Um, you know, something would have to be sacrificed and maybe having fresh roasted coffee would be what would be sacrificed in that. Um, Yeah, because if you have that level of vertical integration, most of the farms aren't in Hawaii, they're in other places in the world. But most of the specialty coffee consumers are in the United States and then you've got like Finland, Norway, and then after that Japan, right? And so you're gonna be shipping to areas um, around the world, where it would, it's going to cost quite a bit to get it to the individual consumer, and probably um, a little bit easier if it's shipped in larger containers. And at that point, you're going to get it to the consumer, and it's going to be an older product.
0: Mm-hmm. If you buy something from, let's say, Hong Kong or China, they have subsidized shipping mm-hmm. just to sell more. I mean, it's fascinating that there are you know apps like uh, what is it, Wish, I think. Or you just go to Aliexpress and you buy things for peanuts with shipping.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's,
0: it's because it's subsidized and they understand that that's how they can um, uh, kind of boost their economy. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know, maybe, maybe there is some future in that. And, you know, I really believe that because, first of all, the trend, I live in California, the trend here is that people do want to buy from the farmers.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I believe so much in it that I put my money in it.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: We, we are starting a new company. And I'm doing it with a Brazilian farmer.
2: That's great.
0: Yeah, so we are going to do the same. And that's a little pitch for that. Yay! Yeah, good you. (laughs) But, yeah, I mean, I would, uh, you know, when I came here, I said I cannot do any coffee company in the United States because especially in the Bay Area, the stuff which I believe in and stuff which we do in Europe is already happening. And there's so many great companies. It's just like getting in competition with them. It's unthinkable. I mean, they're doing an amazing job. They have amazing infrastructure. So I have, you know, I would never do that. But to team up with other farmer and do something like, you know, selling directly from a farm and roasting it here in the United States is a a way for us to do it.
2: So have you teamed up with one particular farm to do that? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So you're only working with one farm, so you can kind of work on the farm level with that. Uh, farmer and with that uh, is it a company or is it just a person
0: no he 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 has a farm in brazil and he is incorporated there because that's the only way how you can export coffee from brazil that's mm-hmm. crazy stuff but that's unfortunately true and he's a half partner in the company so it's not like i'm buying it we are buying it Right, right so it's not fair trade it's not direct trade it's 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 half, half. I'm the roster guy (laughs) and he's the former guy.
2: Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, no, that's a great idea. That's really cool.
0: Yeah, so uh, I do plan to share a lot on podcasts about our, you know, ways. Uh, How did we we choose the name? You know, what kind of strategies are we doing and what works, what not? So that will be also part of the podcast. Uh, What were your expectations when you started? Did you uh, came in to um this business that you wanted to get rich or did you went to that just make living
2: um you know what i don't think that we were thinking about it financially when we got here because we were just excited to get out of the city and to do what we wanted to do it was you know for us living the dream um and then later we realized that we had to be you know, profitable. Otherwise we were going to be in the same position as a lot of these other farmers, which just go out of business because they don't pay attention to their back end, right? They don't do much of the boring stuff, which is the financial stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so initially what we wanted to do, we got here, we played around with our coffee. We were tasting other people's coffee and we realized that there was a regional distinctiveness that, um, goes i guess is foreshadowed by kona and the other coffee regions that get a lot of attention so we were tasting kamakua coffee and hilo coffee and ka'u coffee and this was before ka'u had really you know blossomed out um in some areas of maui and we're like why haven't other places tasted these coffees and we were tasting coffees from individual farmers because we were doing contract roasting and and farmer services and so uh we pitched our business model um as uh, regional distinctiveness um and lesser known farms lesser known places throughout hawaii that was roasted in a in a way that you could taste the reason that you were purchasing hawaiian coffee and not some international coffee or whatever else um, and to do that, we had to learn how to roast a little bit better, um, mm. roast a little bit lighter and to showcase those qualities in different ways. So that was what we were expecting. And then uh, after that, we realized that we had to make money.
0: Okay. So did you make a business plan or you just started? Trying to... <laughs> you know, business I, plan. A business there.
2: plan. Not, not for years, no. It wasn't until we were here for three and a half maybe just three and a quarter years before I wrote a business plan and I wrote a business plan in order to get a grant for a coffee grader Um, and I ended up getting that grant Um, but yeah so it wasn't until until three years later that we wrote that plan
0: and only because you had to have it for some kind of uh, bureaucracy yep not for yourself (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah
1: no not for ourselves uh- uh yeah in many respects i mean we just uh we winged it right we just we we made we made our we made this lifestyle work because well one we wanted it, but we all we needed it too right um and sometimes it was a little bit one over the other uh sometimes we were just really like, oh wow, this has to work and 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 other times you know the passion would be the driver um So it was just kind of a a balance of those two elements of of needing to make it work, wanting to make it work and uh, enjoying ourselves in the process as much as possible. And also, I think part of the, um, you know, the approach too with our engagement in social media is uh, kind of uh, kind of just trying to bring people into our experience, like uh, enjoying ourselves and wanting to share that experience with other people.
0: That's the only way. That's why it's social media. It's I mean, people don't get it. People think that all oh, these are strategies and, and there are certain things you can do and there are certain tips you should do better or worse on, on social media. But the, the authenticity, the the fact that it's you, that's the only way to do social media right. I exactly. think yeah,
1: yeah. Exactly. I think you go insane trying to keep up with social media and if it were pretend, you know. Um Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
2: definitely. The
0: funny thing about the business plan and you <laughs> laughed me off, is that I totally get it because any business I started before, there was either no business plan. So Green Plantation, it was passion. I loved it. That's what I wanted to do. And I did not care whether it makes money or not. Then later, I did other businesses where we did make a business plan, but they were totally off. They had nothing to do with reality and in a good and a bad way too. So it's like at this point, it's like it's good to have a plan. What do you want to do? and how you want to do it, but like having numbers and stuff, it's like, mm, it's it's hard to predict. You don't know what's going to happen. You know, it's just maybe if you work for, sorry, go ahead.
2: Oh, no, I just said ex- exactly, exactly. Totally agree with your experience here. You know, we didn't have the business plan, but we were uh, on the back end. I was looking at the numbers, right? I was learning about QuickBooks and running P&Ls and having anxiety attacks while I was doing it. And I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And you, but, but I also knew where we needed to cut back. So you got to pay attention to the numbers, but you don't have to dive in thinking that you should know everything, I
1: don't think.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you should follow your numbers, and I, I, I don't say you should not do that. Actually, I believe that following, you know, things what's happening in your company and adjusting makes a lot of sense. But for planning, like I'm going to do, you know, 1 billion sales, it's nice, <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> how do you know that?
1: Exactly. Totally yeah. Agree. Be realistic, yeah. right? Yeah.
0: Exactly. And, you know, even being realistic, I remember when when we started the uh, coffee courses or at that time, bootcamp uh, coffee Willem's number, Willem Booth, my partner. You know his numbers were totally different than mine,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and none of them were right.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so we hit something different and in a good way. So uh,
2: yeah, it's funny. We actually have numbers for paradise at this point, but um, you know, I don't. Have, it, it's it's fun to look at. But I'm not really sure. It'll be interesting to see what happens.
0: Yeah, we're going to talk about Paradise a bit later. Yeah, let, well Let me you. torture you about something else right now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> sure.
0: Okay, so I want to always ask this question because, you know, once you start a company, to get the first customers, except your uh, parents and closest <laughs> friends, is, who gets it for free, obviously, right. is the hardest part. How, so how did you do it, guys? You, when you roasted your coffee, how did you get your first customers?
1: Um well, a would. lot of our well, yeah, a lot of our customers, obviously, you know, family friends, that was an easy one. Um
2: we got some from Bob.
1: Yeah, we got some from the previous owner, of course, who would sell all of his coffee. It was basically just locally. He had a website, but I don't think that man, I don't think it did really much in the way of anything as far as uh coffee sales go. But at the point at that point when we came here, um the business was predominantly flowers. And so he would the the coffee was sort of like a, a additional thing with the flowers um and so we had very few customers to be quite frank we um, had some
2: customers who found us through farmers markets um that was that was a big part of it um, So so
0: farmers markets
2: yeah farmers markets were a big part of it and then also we were selling when we were when we were practicing coffee initially um, we had some accounts who they just cared about the price. They didn't care about the coffee. And we had five hundred pounds of coffee that Bob had left us with, old coffee, that we were practicing on. We would um basically swap it to these with these bed and breakfasts um for stays at their bed and breakfasts or whatever else. And some of those customers ended up finding us through that. I honestly don't know how we got a lot of our customers, um, but I know that uh, doing Google searches on them, I ended up finding similar qualities between them, which were that they were, I guess, socially and environmentally aware. They liked to travel. They were probably vacationing on this side of the island. Um, And we had accidentally plugged in some keywords that popped up on, we didn't know anything about search engine optimization at the time. But I think that we had accidentally put in some keywords that responded well with Google.
0: So wait, you spying on your customers?
2: Well, you know, you get some c- orders and you're like, who are these people? How did they find me? I mean, we had the same questions that, that you're, you're asking us right now. How did your customers find you? Who were they? I love and it. Yeah. <laughs> so we're like, who are you? And we, yeah, we spied on them.
0: I do the same. <laughs> because I, I get notifications from Green Plantation orders and I'm like, oh, I never heard of this name. Who is that? Or let me, you know, check out on Facebook or sometimes they have open profiles. I'm curious. You know, it's like yeah. I'm open, you know, about myself. So I check them out and I, you know, it's not like I want anything else from them. I'm just like, who is that? Like we just got ordered today from Latvia. And I was like, huh, who is that person?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally, totally. And through those Google searches, I ended up finding out that a lot of those first customers were socially aware. They had things that they believed in. They were they had incomes and jobs and were usually in their 50s, you know, found similar traits. But again, I don't know how they found us.
0: Cool. Okay. So, guys, go and spy on your cost, uh, first customers and find similar <laughs> ones.
1: Information is available. That's for sure. Oh, yeah.
0: You just have to reach <laughs> for it. That's true. That's true. Okay, so you started your business, you got your first customers, so what was uh, some kind of strong catalysator which suddenly moved your company, or was there one?
1: Um, really, it's it, I would say it was a series of events, so to speak. Uh, 2013 was a really big year for us. Um, that's kind of when we really officially started focusing and like almost entirely on coffee. In fact, that that was pretty much it. That's when we took the leap into coffee. So when we moved out here in 2010, you know, we took over and it was basically like wholesale coffee sales, but mostly flower sales. Um, and we, you know, we we wore many hats and we just did whatever we could right to to pay the bills. Get by to make a living and all that stuff, uh, and and coffee was more or less as Kelly liked to put it, because she was doing the accounting. She's like, you know, <laughs> the flowers are paying us, and the coffee is is basically being um, funded by the flowers. Like it was our coffee hobby, and that's kind of how the first couple of years were like. Uh, and so by year three, it was it was kind of uh, it was time to kind of make a decision for for best effective use of, of our time and energy to decide where to go. So we were like, okay, let's do, let's do this coffee thing. Um, and then in, so in the beginning of 2013, that's when we branded ourselves as big Island coffee roasters. Um, let's see sort of one of the big first signifiers for us that this could kind of be a viable option and that we weren't totally crazy. All the experiments we were doing and, you know, or I, on an isolated farm and away from pretty much any other coffee folks that are like-minded quite frankly. Um, so, you know, we, we, we felt inexperienced and like we had gone into this blind because that 's exactly what we had done um, and so what we did was uh, we submitted one of our coffees our our peaberry coffee to coffee review, mm-hmm. and uh, we got a we got a ninety three on that and once man, when that came back, we were just like totally shot you know shot out into space we were just completely floored by that news uh, and and we were like okay that's that's affirming right we're not totally nuts, apparently we're doing something okay. Um, so I think that was a big first sort of like thrust of like, okay, good. It boosted our confidence and made us feel like, okay, we can, we can make this happen. Um, so that was great. And then, um, about a little bit over a month later, we'd kind of come out with the Big Island Coffee Roasters brand and, um, that gave us just better presence. Um, and then later on, uh, in 2013, uh, we got first place in the Hawaii statewide cupping competition. So that was, uh, another really good kind of, uh, piece for press, but also affirmation of, of our work and efforts. Um, and then shortly thereafter, we got a 94, uh, on, from coffee review for our Honeydiela Katura. Um, that was really exciting. And then later on that year, we made it onto coffee reviews, top 30 coffees of 2013. Wow. Congrats. Yeah. Yeah. So it was really just that whole year, you know, the, the coffee review scores, the rebranding and, and us deciding that we wanted to do coffee and then kind of having all of that underscored and affirmed that, uh, that push to do coffee, yeah. And then
2: in August we ended up getting a Senate certificate um, from our senator here uh, for working to improve coffee quality in this region. So it was all, it was all, I guess, uh, fulfilling.
0: Wow, congrats! That sounds great. Do do these um, because coffee reviews—it's uh, more towards consumer, is that correct? So it's, you know, yeah. yeah. So do these. Things really help your sales, for example, or is it only confirmation for you guys that you're doing a good job?
1: Yeah, it was it was both for sure. Uh, and the other thing too that it really helped out with, obviously, would just be uh, presence and traffic. It would it would drive people to our to our website too. So um, yeah, it, yeah, it definitely it help. helps. No question about it.
0: Cool. I want to do that too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: you should. <laughs> I think just getting yourself out there and uh, and having as much positive exposure as possible is always a good thing.
0: Oh, true. Did anyone help you in a way that it changed how you think about certain issues, and maybe you even had to like reevaluate and change your strategies?
2: Um, I would mm-hmm. say we, when we got elected to the board of directors of yeah. uh, the Hawaii Coffee Association, we obviously started sitting in on those meetings. Um we got a different perspective of what the coffee industry was like, and it has changed our perspective um I think that we are more narrow we were narrowly focused on our region and on the far, on the farms farmers that we associated with on the small crop producers and we didn't really have an understanding of the larger producers and so that that changed the way that we think about everything from Regionality, blending, grading—all of these big issues that are fundamental to how coffee is sourced, priced, and displayed in the market.
0: Uh, did you know, by the way, that uh, one of my first videos I ever did was uh, from Hawaii? <laughs> oh, no, really. Because you know, I, I do videos for the uh, bootcamp, but I'm not a videographer. Yeah, um, I have nothing to do with that. Prof- I did not have nothing to do with that profession. But then I decided that, you know, that's going to be a good business when we move to California. So I, I try to uh, work with that. And one of my first videos I did with a coffee was in Maui with Greg Still.
1: Oh, really? Oh, you yeah, yeah. right yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know yeah, if he's you ever... A good friend of
0: ours. Oh, of course. He's, he's a great guy. Hello, Greg. Hey, <laughs> <So> Greg. <laughs> hey, Greg.
2: One of, first,
0: one of the first videos, actually only video what he had about Piliani Coffee Farm his old stuff on Maui. That that was me. No that's
1: kidding. Awesome. That's, that's great. I'll have, to, I'll
2: have to see if I can find that.
0: Yeah, and he told me about the uh, the Hawaiian Coffee Association, so that's why I'm you know just a, just a mem- old memory.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, cool. Oh, I like I like how small the world is. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, speaking of videos and online presence, you you are doing an amazing job, guys. Like seriously, like one of the things which I see. From a lot of coffee brands, even big ones, they do a horrible job with their websites, with their social presence. Because we already kind of hinted that, you know, social, many times they kind of engineer it rather than do it themselves.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. So it
0: doesn't have a soul. But you guys are different. You have amazing website, very well organized. Wow. Simple, yet pleasing to navigate. I don't feel that I'm, I do not feel that I'm lost. So first, what platform do you run it on? And did you build it yourself or did you hire someone?
2: We run on Big Commerce attached to a WordPress site, and we had it built by um, some. Well, they're friends of ours, and they're a company. And it, we used to have an internship program, and one of the guys uh, that one of our interns had an ex-girlfriend whose aunt did design work and built brands and we connected with her and her and her company, uh, like they made Mr. Boar, they created Mr. Boar and they uh, helped build our website.
0: Oh, I'm saying, you know, I, I have to admit, I did research the company who did your uh, logo and uh, your uh, packaging.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And they are from San Francisco, right?
2: Yes. Yep,
1: yep. Yes. <laughs> yes.
0: I did contacted them because for the Unleashed Coffee or Dimension Unleashed Coffee they are designing now the packaging, and uh, ask for a quote. So.
1: Oh, good. Right. Well,
2: she deserves it. Yeah, they're going to be redoing our brand for Paradise
0: too. Well, luck. Unluckily, for her, we're not going with them. Ah. I'm sorry. Oh, not because I love their work. They're <laughs> amazing, and people should check them out. It's simply because we found one which is even closer to me. I feel strongly about local.
1: Ah uh, yeah yeah
0: and she's from Fairfax where I live and I was like and she did the green plantation packaging but you know she after the green plantation project she said she's very busy and uh she said that you know I want to do it I was like you said you are busy she said I want to do it I was like okay <laughs> it's yours so we are going with a local one so we you know it's but I love what they do with uh and I should write them answer because I did not answer them uh since the quote so it's nasty from me I'll do that <laughs> Anyhow, I, I love it. So I love the logo. I love the whole branding. The packaging is simple, beautiful. At least I, what I see on pictures. So oh, it's okay. very nice. Thank you.
1: Thank, yeah, you. thank you.
0: So you are lucky because you have friends doing amazing uh, branding for you guys.
1: I know, right? Yeah. yeah no, we are very fortunate. <laughs> yeah, very <laughs> very fortunate. fortunate.
0: Okay, just if some somebody, somebody thinks of doing their website and you know uh, they want to see other options, I mean. I love Shopify. I don't use it in my businesses because I'll, I'll tell what I use. But Shopify is very simple. I experimented with it. And on coffeecourses.com, you have a free course of Shopify. That's free. That's on us.
2: Oh. oh, nice. Yeah,
0: so you can check it out. It's very easy, very simple, and they have amazing forums for any businesses. By the way, you don't have to do even Shopify, but listening to their podcasts and reading their forums will help you a lot to understand you know, plenty of things of business-like and what i like to use and it's a little bit more nerdy it's wordpress combined with woocommerce
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: so that's what i use for green plantation that's what i use for partly for coffeecourses.com and that's what i'm going to use for unleash coffee so
2: why are you using woocommerce instead of shopify uh
0: because woocommerce is extendable it's first of all it's free but yeah. then when you buy plugins, they cost you, for example, 30 bucks or 99 bucks and you are done. On Shopify, you have these recurring payments. And oh. if you add many different plugins, extensions, you might end up paying like crazy amount of money per month.
2: Yep. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah.
0: But you have a peace of mind. Most likely, I never tried it again, but I hope that they, what they do, that they always work. What sometimes happens that if you use WooCommerce and WordPress and another like 30 plugins that one plugin is a culprit and does something nasty to other ones. Mm -hmm. So you have to be a nerd to kind of like figure this out, Mm -hmm. catch it soon and either downgrade, upgrade the plugin. So it is possible. It just, you have to be more involved with your website.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that was something we considered before. Um, but that was, uh, just the level of involvement that it would require in time and energy or money paying somebody else to do it was kind of the deterrent for us. Um, But yeah, totally understandable why you would work with that combination. Yeah.
0: yeah. So I build it myself. It's easy for me. I would not recommend it to anyone who like you guys, you know, just, do it as a business they know a little bit about wordpress and stuff but they don't want to be involved in web design and you should not be involved in web design you should be involved in your coffee and your business
1: (laughs) that's exactly Uh right yeah it's all a balance of time and energy for sure
0: exactly (laughs) thank you for listening to the first part of this interview with uh, kelly and brandon from big island roasters from hawaii and don't forget the second episode is coming right now